0: Hey everybody, this is a special edition episode of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you live from Boston. It is Boston Marathon weekend and I am here in Boston getting set to preview all of Monday's events, which naturally I am very, very excited about. I had the privilege of getting a press pass this time around in Boston, so I was able to go to the elite press conferences early today. So talk to at least all of the, the major American players, except for Jordan hase who I was not able to catch, but got to talk to everybody else, including defending champion Desiree Linden. And so I have insights from those discussions, and we will be giving my predictions, talking about how this race may play out on Marathon Monday, which is coming up around the corner here. Before we jump into all of that, wanted to get you updated on how you can interact with the Running Rogue podcast coverage this weekend. First of all, as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I will be hanging out at the Weston Copley Square, which is about a block from the finish line, at, from 2 to 3 on Sunday in the Empire Room on the 7th floor. So if you're a podcast listener doing the race or here spectating, would love to have you come say hello From 2 to 3, the Empire Room on the 7th floor of the Westin Copley. So come say hi if you will. would love to interact with listeners and, and or give you any final racing tips if you need them during that hour. So come see me then. And then on Monday, I'll be doing my live call just like we did last year of the race as we watch the coverage unfold on the local feed here in Boston. So you can tune into that at our Rogue Running Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Rogue and you should see the live video posting there. Tune in when you can. We'll be starting our coverage at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central. With me joining will be co-host Scott McPherson, who has been a prior guest on this podcast. He now works for Ufos, but was a former elite runner, has run Boston a couple of times, and as I mentioned Prior to the Ryan Hall interview, one of his claim to fame is actually beating Ryan Hall at Boston. And so he's going to be jumping in. He's also done race coverage for FlowTrack and, and other, other outlets. And so he's an experienced TV voice, used to work for Rogue as well and run on our elite team and used to do video and marketing stuff for us. So Scotty's a cool guy. He had a cameo on last year's coverage. I think you'll enjoy he and I breaking it all down and so you'll be able to check that out on our Facebook page and if you're in Boston and happen to be spectating you can come hang out with us at the UFOs pop-up shop the address for that is 344 Newberry Street we're just a couple of blocks away from the Heinz Convention Center where the expo is taking place and just a little bit west of Hereford not too far from the race course they've They've got a coffee and beer bar, apparently, so those things will be flowing, plus Normatec recovery boots, high-price stuff, UFOS, and so it'll be a little bit of a party, so join us, if you can, to watch everything go down 344 Newberry Street at the UFOS pop-up, so that's how you can hang out and either interact with me this weekend, either here in Boston or watching from afar. I should also mention that in terms of TV coverage, we've got the the local feed is going to be WBZ on CBS here in Boston. And the national feed in the U.S. is going to be NBCSN and so NBC Sports Network. And then you can also watch it on NBC Sports Gold if you have access to the paywall or access to get behind the paywall. So you can maybe throw that on in terms of seeing the video and then get the the commentary, mute that, and get the commentary from Scotty and I. And then, of course, if you go to the Boston Marathon website, if you're an international listener, then you can check out. They have the TV listings there on the Boston Marathon site so you can see what outlet might have coverage in your home country. So go check that out on the BAA site. So that's a bit on logistics. And then as we jump into this, the first thing to talk about will be the weather, which is the, the talk of, of the, the press conference. It seems like all the runners that are doing this, and we have about 70 rogue athletes that are going to be competing from Austin, from Dallas, and from our virtual podcast group that will be competing on Monday. And everyone's abuzz talking about the weather and People are obsessively checking it as as I would be doing too if I was racing on Monday because it, it did for a little bit look like we would have eerily similar conditions to last year, which, which obviously was crazy, crazy, crazy conditions. It's looking like they might be slightly more favorable this year, at least as the forecast stands now. As of 4 p.m. Eastern on this Friday before the race, a couple of days out, we can't yet see the hourly. Podcast, but we can, or the hourly forecast, but we can see the, the, the morning and evening potential forecasts. And so right now it's calling for 10 to 20 mile an hour winds from the southwest, at least if we're looking at the start in Hopkinton. 100% chance of rain, so that appears to be an inevitability. An overnight low of 50 degrees in Hopkinton, and then a high for the day of 63 degrees in boston itself so that's 15 to potentially 20 degrees warmer than it was last year which i do think bodes well i think the the real challenge last year was the trifecta of bad conditions where you had the cold low 30 temperatures you had the the wind which for most of the morning was actually a headwind And then, of course, you had the driving rain that never relented and at times picked up really, really to really steady driving rains. And so at least it looks like it's going to be a little bit warmer, which hopefully will allow those that might have suffered from hypothermic like conditions last year to to not have those same challenges. I think the combination of the wind and the cold and the rain last year just prevented people from being able to retain any body heat. And so those like Desi who had a shell on ended up performing well, but, but that was, but that was still a challenge for people. And this year looks like at least it'll be a little bit warmer. 50 is, is not hot, but it's cooler, uh, cooler than, more cool than cold, which I think will help hopefully avoid some of those hypothermic conditions that people suffered last year. Also that That wind coming from the southwest, and that's the direction of the winds, you know, direction it's coming from, would be actually a tailwind because runners are actually running to the north northeast as you head from Hopkinton to Boston. So if the wind's coming from the southwest, it'll actually be behind you, which obviously would be huge, much better, much better to have a tailwind than a headwind, which many of the athletes faced last year. So the positives are potential tailwind, potentially warmer than last year. and But the challenges are it does look like it's going to rain. So that's something that you should prepare for. And, you know, it's still chilly. So you've got to at least account for staying warm, especially before you get to the start line. But it does look like slight, slightly more favorable conditions. And I do think this can still shift around as we move towards Marathon Monday. So My recommendation is that you don't make make any decisions about how to handle the weather until Sunday afternoon when we have a better sense of what that hourly forecast is going to look like. But I did want to cover off on some of the things that it seemed we learned last year that helped people prepare for those crazy conditions just so that you have those for those racing you have that stuff in mind or maybe you have a friend that's racing you can pass this on to them. One thing that The race did announce via press release this morning is that they do have already some modifications to the start based on the impending rain. And one of those is that wave three will be starting with or right after wave four rather than having a gap as is typically planned. And so they'll go right into wave four from wave three to prevent having people standing out in the conditions as long. And so that's one thing if you're in wave four to account for that you'll want to leave a little bit earlier. And of course, they'll be directing you to do that. So you're going to be taking off right after wave three goes through. And then from a a Hopkinton area situation, we've got also apparently some additional things within the Athletes Village that will hopefully make it a little bit easier to wait out those conditions if it is raining they talked about more coverings for the fields to try to prevent some of the muddy conditions that developed last year some flaps on the sides of tents more tents to try to get people the opportunity to shelter from these conditions and stay dry as long as possible so it does seem like they've accounted for some of the challenges that were in the village last year which is that people had crazy mud, muddy feet coming out of there it was. There was not enough coverage, so everybody was getting wet except for the, the the handful that might be able to get under a tent and even those tents because they didn't have flaps ended up being kind of a muddy mess as well With wind, with wind and rain driving in from the sides. It didn't end up being that much of a safe haven. So it looks like the race has made some adjustments and will make it a little bit more comfortable for you for those in the Athlete's Village. That being said, of course, you can't really plan for plan to to be able to be fully sheltered out there so I would highly encourage you take precautions accordingly at least prepare if you're looking to head up to Boston or you're in Boston already you'll definitely want to have some sort of impermeable shell as you wait for the start whether that be a trash bag a rain suit of some sort or a poncho that you can discard Perhaps later, once you either get started or right before you start, depending on the temperatures. So definitely bring that with you. One of our Austin Rogue athletes was recommending something that he has tried in wet conditions before, which is a two-piece rain suit that he got from Home Depot for 12 bucks that had both a top and bottom, so pants as well, to not only keep him warm, and but also dry seems like 12 bucks well spent. And obviously he can discard that as appropriate. So that's certainly one thing to account for. I think I The second thing I think you need to account for that we saw and really Desi taught us this is you want to account for some sort of jacket or shell that you can wear, especially if the temperatures end up shifting back to cooler temperatures, having some sort of shell ended up being really critical for a lot of people to retain that body heat within windy conditions. And so. Having a lightweight jacket that you don't necessarily have to wear the entire time, but that you can layer up with underneath that impermeable layer before the start. And then you can discard that when you feel like you need to. And again, last year, Desi thought she'd be tossing it, but she didn't. She ran with that jacket all the way to the finish line. And so a lightweight shell that, that can be fairly sleekly worn will be helpful for you. And obviously, then once you get going, you can decide how long you keep that shell on. If the conditions are rainy, I would also also bring gloves, hat, potentially a beanie you could wear under your hat. I do think a hat with a brim that will keep the rain out of your eyes is is a pro tip and not just have a beanie on, but a hat with a brim, potentially a beanie as well that you could toss if you need to. And so gloves, hat with brim, perhaps a beanie you could wear under a hat, but something to keep that rain out of your eyes. I think it's going to be important. Beyond that, of course, I would plan, you know, to have a singlet, a tank, something fairly lightweight that you could wear under those layers, because I do think if it's in the fifties and or low sixties, then you're going to warm up. And once you take that stuff off, you're going to want probably not a lot of clothing on underneath that especially as as things are trending warmer. And so I would definitely bring your singlets, bring your tank, bring the things you might bring for a little bit warmer conditions as well. And you can use that as a layer that you can peel down to as needed during the race. Beyond that, I was I actually asked Des about this, you know, what she recommended in terms of handling these conditions for those athletes that are in the main field. And obviously she mentioned the shell and the jacket and the things I've already talked about. But another thing that she talked about, which also Camille Heron tweeted about as, as a tip from an, uh, an ultra runner who's handled some of these conditions, is that you have to really make sure you're getting plenty of calories, especially if the conditions are colder, because you're, you're burning more calories to stay warm. And so I think a lot of people also maybe have succumbed later in the race last year because they just weren't getting enough calories. Desi likened it to running a 30-mile race instead of a 26-mile race in terms of maybe the fuel you might need due to the potential shivering, the, the potential work your body's having to do to stay warm. and So just make sure you're planning for enough calories both before the race as you're waiting in the athlete's village or perhaps in the private bus lot, but also during the race as well. Just get as many calories as you can. Don't neglect that part. And then, of course, you might consider extra anti-chafing stuff whatever you might use whether it be body glide sport shield Camille Herron talked about having vaseline plastered all, plastered all over her which not only serves to to be an anti-chafing implement but also can keep you warmer and drier as you're using it basically as insulation as well and so some vaseline some body glide sport shield whatever you like to, to like to use just make sure you're your Applying ample of that because chafing can be really challenging, obviously, in wet conditions. So those are some things to think about. But if you haven't yet flown out, I would highly encourage you to plan for all scenarios at this point. I think even two days out, we could still see a shift in the weather as we start to hone in on what race morning will look like. Also, of course, we've talked about this pro tip before, but you're going to want to make sure you check the weather in Hopkinton as well as the Boston weather because sometimes that weather is a little bit different at the start and so when you're checking your forecasts check Hopkinton's forecast as well as of course Boston's forecast so you can get a sense for exactly what you're dealing with in each spot and how that might play out throughout the race as you move between those two points beyond that for those prepping obviously get get your, your your mental game on and and go to work on all of the things you need to do for, to prepare for any marathon, much less the Boston Marathon. I do recommend if you're wanting some race strategy discussion, you can go back and listen to our older podcasts on the topic. We've got a couple of them where we talk about Boston. Episode 69 is our most recent one that we did last year that gave some final tips from Boston that are more Cliff Notes versions of what you might be thinking about for race morning. And then also episode 14, we did a more thorough breakdown of the Boston course and how you might think about it in its different chunks. The one overarching message I would add to that as we sit here two days out from the race is that I would just encourage you to resist the temptation if you're racing on Monday especially given the potentially challenging conditions, resists the temptation to get greedy. You really do have to take what Boston gives you, not only from a, the logistics standpoint, but also from a course and weather standpoint. And if you get greedy before mile 21 on those early downhills, on that down at mile 15 in the Newton Hills, if you get greedy at any of those points, then this race will chew you up and spit you out. And so I would encourage a conservative, erring on the conservative side with your plan through Heartbreak Hill at mile 21. And then the race has to be made in those final five miles. If you can get to to mile 21 in good shape and feeling like you've got some gas in the tank to close this thing out, then you're gonna be in a good spot and you're gonna be flying by people at the end. And so give yourself a chance to get to 21 so that you can close this out. Just don't be greedy, be patient before that. And you'll be in a good spot. But again, you can check out episode 14 as well as episode 69 if you'd like a little bit more tips on, on your potential race plan for Marathon Monday. All right. With that, let's turn to our discussion about the elite races. And we're going to start with the women's race. And I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the international field. And we're going to go more thoroughly through the Americans in the field. And then finally, I'll come back with my predictions on how the race might play out. And of course, what our top three might look like. So if we look at this field, if we start with the international field, and of course, we've got Dez as the defending champion. And one of the big questions here is, can she repeat, which is a rare feat. No one has been able to do that, at least on the women's side, since 2004 and 2005 by Catherine the Great, the great Catherine Dureba, the Kenyan athlete who actually did it twice. She did it in 2000, 2001, and then 2004 and 2005, but since that time, no other female has been able to repeat. And so it's a a tall order for Des, certainly, but I think the conditions are obviously playing favorably for her and I think this international field also plays favorably for her. She was actually talking about it in the press conference where there isn't really a woman if you look at this from an international standpoint there isn't really a woman that sticks off the page a Mari Katani, for example, as somebody who is a clear favorite or threat from the international field, you have you certainly have women with really legitimate resumes and PRs, but nobody jumps off the page. There's a little bit of an asterisk or question marks about each of those women from the international field. So I do think this does bode well for Desi, especially if the conditions are are poor, to come back and potentially have have a repeat win, which would be absolutely. Insane. Now, will it happen or not? I'll get to my predictions here in a second. But let me give you a quick rundown on who we have in the international field. The, at least the the big names. the The woman with the biggest or best PR is a woman by the name of Worknesh Dejefa, and she is the fourth fourth fastest woman ever in the marathon. From an athlete from Ethiopia, she has run two seventeen forty one. Now, she did that in Dubai. And she's run Dubai a couple of times really, really fast. That race, as I've talked about before, has, has some asterisks nest next to it. It seems like there's a lot of people who can run fast at Dubai and then can't repeat that success. Plus, of course, Dubai is a very, very fast paced race that has also competed on a relatively flat course. Very different conditions from the non paced hilly course that we have in Boston. So while her PR is really, really impressive. There's a big question mark as to whether that actually matters here at Boston. The, the second international athlete that you've got to keep an eye on is the great Edna Kiplagat, who was the 2017 champion. She, didn't, she was not able to repeat last year, but she is one of the few elite Kenyan athletes who actually finished the race last year. So you've got to give props to Edna for doing that her p r comes from london she's a two nineteen fifty runner, but that that time was not what was achieved in two thousand and twelve so it's been a while since she's achieved that p r but she still ran two twenty one last fall in Berlin, so we know she's fast, but she is thirty nine years old and you know there's a question mark there as to whether or not she's starting to get a little bit affected by her age. We shall see. So that's uh, a champion, a former champion of this race who, if I were for circling a name to worry about from the American side, Edna Kiplegott would be the one, especially because of the way she dispatched the field in 2017. And of course, had conditions been different last year, who knows what what we would have gotten from Edna Kiplegott. But she's probably, to me, the biggest threat. Of the international athletes. The next one by PR is Mari Debaba, who's another Ethiopian athlete who's run 219 but that was back in 2012 as well. Recently she's struggled and hasn't really been able to to have a, a really big and strong result since she finished bronze in the Olympics back in 2016 and her most recent result from the fall she was only 11th at the Frankfurt Marathon. So Mari Dababa has a decently deep resume, but those recent results aren't looking that, that impressive or promising. Fourth international athlete by PR would be Meskerem Essefa. She has run a two twenty thirty six, which was done actually at Frankfurt last year. And she actually has four marathon wins in the last two years, including her last two straight, But those weren't necessarily major marathons. So there's perhaps a question there as to can she compete in a major marathon and get the job done? Plus, if you look at those races that she's done, she's also typically done it on relatively flat courses in paced affairs, just like DeJava. So will that translate on the hilly Boston course without pacers? We don't know. Then if you look at can kind of continue down the field, we've got a couple of other international athletes as well that have strong PRs. The 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 next Ethiopian that I would look at would be Marta Megra, who actually won the Toronto Marathon in two twenty-two last fall. Really, really impressive Toronto result. But again, a paced affair on a relatively flat course. I think the most the most impressive Kenyan athlete below that or most the, the or the biggest threat Kenyan athlete below that would be Betsy Sena, the Iowa State product who actually won the Paris marathon last year in 22256, but she's run four marathons and three of those she struggled including two DNFs. She did figure things out in Paris last year and is training with the great marathon coach from Kenya, Renato Canova, and so can Betsy put something together here. We don't we don't know. But again, in Paris, that's a little bit faster. Paced affair. How does she handle the challenges of this course? And so if you look at those international athletes, and those are probably the top names. There are others that we could mention, but those are the top names. You know, there the themes seem to be athletes that have faster PRs than the Americans, but most of those faster PRs came on flat courses and paced affairs. And or you have people that are getting older, like Edna Kippel got, or haven't had recent marathon results that would point to potential success here. And so again, every single one of those names, if you look at it, could easily not be able to handle these conditions, not be able to handle the challenge of this course, or potentially not be able to deal with a race that isn't paced and how you might handle those tactics. Last year, you might remember one of the Ethiopian athletes, Dasca, going off the front in the driving rain, which ultimately, Des was able to pass her in relatively far from the finish, and it, it wasn't even close. So So those things are all things that people have to think about, and I think bodes well for really all of the top Americans that this could be this could be either a repeat for Dez or potentially an opportunity for somebody like Jordan S.A. to have a breakout experience. And so we shall see as, again, the, the international athlete that I would really point to as the biggest threat to the Americans that could, I think, win this race and may even be the favorite is Edna Kiplegott because of her history on this course and because she has run as fast as 221 as recently as at Berlin last year. And so that would be the name I would circle. Plus, she did finish in the conditions last year and, and presumably learned something as a part of that, which even though you know, she was, she was down in the field, it's still impressive, still shows you that she's super, super tough and is going to be a tough woman to beat, no doubt, this Monday. Now, let's talk about the Americans in the field and what each of them might need to think about or the challenges that they may face. And I'm going to do this in order of PRs as well. Also bringing in some of the color that I got from the press conference, I was able to talk to all of the American, all the top Americans, I should say, except for Jordan Assay, who had actually gotten, gotten up from her seat before I was able to get over to her. But I, I was able to watch an interview with her that was done by letsrun.com. And so I got a little bit from that on how her prep has gone. So let's talk about Jordan first. And if you look at this field, there's really four Americans that I think you have to to think about and account for as ones that will be mixing it up in this race. We'll mention a few others once we get through these four. But there's four key names that you should know about. The first, of course, is Jordan Hesse. Jordan famously after the press conferences last year and in and when she was speaking very confidently about her potential, she ended up not even starting the race after getting an m r i the day before the race, which revealed a stress reaction in her foot that allowed her not to toe the line. Of course, there was some speculation that there might be other things going on there that maybe she was ducking the weather in 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 some sort of conspiracy theories, including ones that I even alluded to or mentioned, but it was confirmed that she ended up with that injury and probably made the right decision and not following through on the race itself, but that was disappointing for her. She tried to reload, apparently took about a month to recover from that injury and then started training again for Chicago and then ultimately had to pull out of the Chicago Marathon as well due to the injury. Apparently, she took a longer period of time after Chicago about ten weeks, not necessarily of no running, but really before she started resuming full training loads or trying to get back to full training loads again before she began her Boston build. If you watch her press conference interview with let's run dot com, which you can find on their YouTube channel, she talks about how this this cycle has gone really well. She compares it to how it how it did. When she was able to get third in Chicago and also compared it to how she was feeling in advance of of Boston last year in terms of fitness before the injury affected her. And so she seemed confident. She said her long runs have gone better than ever, especially her long run workouts. The one thing she said she didn't quite have fully back yet is some of that, that raw speed that they test with some 200 repeats here and there she talked but she talked about really subtle things like being only a half a second off on those 200 repeats so she may not be as sharp from a raw speed standpoint but she did talk the talk about how the, her her long runs made her feel confident now what do we get from jordan i mean she hasn't been able to finish a marathon since chicago in 2017 where obviously she ran really well and that is still her pr of 20 I'm sorry, 220, 57, one of the fastest times by an American ever in the marathon. So she has the chops. She's also run well here at Boston, finishing in third place in 2017 to go with that third place in Chicago. So she's got a couple of marathon major podiums. Again, with the only question being, is she full strength after coming back from this injury? She did run a half marathon prep race in rome in 111 which is is significantly off of her pr but as we've talked about many times you can't necessarily put a lot of weight in those half marathon prep races because sometimes the athletes choose to use them more as a long hard tempo versus a full race effort she did say in the press conference that she wished she'd gotten a little bit of a faster time in that race in rome but she didn't seem worried in, in the least. She dismissed it pretty quickly saying what she felt was more important was how she was doing in those, those big long run workouts that are, that are notorious in the Salazar program that Rupp does as well. So what are we gonna get from Jordan? I really, 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 really don't know. But it's gonna be interesting and I think she's an athlete that, will, that won't do anything bold that will stay behind athletes as long as she can. You've got to believe that she'll be perhaps getting some notes from Nike, from those Nike athletes that that ran this race last year and ended up in, a lot of them, in the r- absolutely wrong gear, including Joffrey Karui, who ended up with that parachute-like jacket on. I think Nike will have... Figured that out, dialed it in, hopefully giving those athletes some sleeker jackets if they end up having to race in them, depending on how the conditions play out. So she'll get the benefit of of all of that intel. But I think she's going to tuck in. I don't think you're going to see Jordan Hesse make any moves until as absolutely late as possible. I also think that she will cover moves, maybe not early moves, but I think she will cover late moves, especially if they're from a key player like and so I think what we'll see from her again is just patience, patience, patience. And then the question will be, will her body hold up after coming back from injury? And, and will she have that memory, that marathon memory of how to keep it together late in this race? So we shall see. So that's what we're getting and hearing from Jordan say The second athlete that we'll talk about by PR would be course the great Desiree Linden and she's not just a defending champion but man she has crushed Boston through the years of course she finished second by only two seconds in 2011 she's finished fourth a couple of times she's she's done this fast slow her PR is on this course which was actually in that 2011 race where she finished second she ran 222 that year, she also has run 223, which she did in 2014 when Chelaine took it out super fast that year. And even though she finished 10th, it was really, really an impressive result from that in 2014. So she's the consummate Boston veteran who has seen this race play out in pretty much every fashion. Fast from the gun, with crazy conditions, hot, cold, windy, rainy. And she has done well through all of it with... The first, the second place, and a couple of top, a couple of top four finishes, and so if anyone is prepared for this besides Edna Kiplagat, then that is Desiree Linden. Now, can she repeat? You know, if we also look at what she did last month at the New York City Half, it should bodes well for her fitness when she ran a 1:11 there, mixing it up with some of the best in the half marathon in the world on a challenging rolling course running, running a couple minutes faster than she did even last year before this Boston race. And so she's, she's, she's there, she's fit, she's ready. She talked about it when I, I got the chance to talk with her one-on-one for about four or five minutes and get to ask some questions. And she said her buildup has gone well. And especially after New York city half, she's had a nice kind of final run into the race here. She's confident. She feels like she's had the opportunity to assimilate her her, her new coach's philosophy in, in Walt Drenth, her former collegiate coach now coaching her. She talked about not having pressure, even though she, overall, because she has the win, although she did say maybe there's a little bit of pressure because of the bad conditions, because somehow she, she's expected to perform better in bad conditions. So she kind of made an offhanded joke about that. But she also said, hey, I'm willing to take more risks within reason because I have nothing to lose at this point. And so you have Des in what I think is a very dangerous spot for her competitors, which is that she's relaxed, she's confident, she's not feeling pressure, and she's fit. And perhaps even faster than from a raw, raw speed standpoint that she has been in a, a little while because she's been working those things. Now after being with her new coach for a little less than a year, after all of the the pressure, whether she wants to call it that or not, of being the defending champion, of all of the extra things you have to do as a defending champion, will that weigh on her on Monday? I don't know. And the one question I think that we have to ask here, and I've seen other others talk about it, Let'srun.com, for example, had a comment that they didn't think Des could repeat unless it was bad conditions. And so I do think that may be the question with Des, is depending on how these conditions play out, does it have to be bad weather for her to potentially repeat, or are there other scenarios where she could get the job done? And I submit that Des could win under any conditions on Monday. Now, I think her chances are definitely better if the weather is shitty, but I think she could still win under any conditions, which is exciting. Because of her experience on this course, because of the fact that she's willing to take risks and, and cover moves by somebody like Edna Kiplagat, and because of the fact that she's been working that gear changing, that speed a little bit more with her new coach, which she didn't necessarily do as much with the Brooks Hansen's group. And so I think Dez is still dangerous, regardless of the conditions, which is exciting for us as Americans. And so that's that's the rundown on Dez. The next American, if you look at the field, is going to be Sarah Hall, who is also really, really in a good spot. I had her husband, Don Ryan Hall, on the main podcast recently. He talked about her fitness coming together. This is her first Boston Having watched it many times as Ryan has competed, she ran a PR 226 at Ottawa last fall. So it's still getting faster in the marathon in spite of the fact that she's advancing in age. Looked, looked strong, looked happy, looked excited about this race. I got to talk to her for a little bit. She and both, and I talked to Ryan as well, he was hanging around and both of them said that they felt like she was in the best shape of her life especially for the marathon distance now that comes in spite of having some hiccups in her training she said apparently she had a few little injuries that she had to deal with which required her for periods of time to do some cross training so she said it wasn't a perfect cycle but that you know that's something that she's worked through before she know how her, how her how her body responds to cross training so she was still confident in spite of that, and excited to get out there and test herself on this course, the thing with Sarah that may be challenging in all of this is that with her 226 PR versus some of the other women in the field, and there's nine other women in the field that have PRs of 223 or faster, depending on how this race plays out, can she hang with them, especially late in the race? And... So we shall see. I asked her if she would go out like, like Ryan did and lead from the gun. And she 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 did not say no. But she did caveat that her and Ryan are different. And that would probably be a little bit smarter for her to hang back a little bit. So I don't think we're going to see anything crazy from Sarah. But I think, again, she looks strong. She looked fit. Depending on this, how this race plays out, it wouldn't surprise me if she could finish in the top. Five or six, again depending on how things play out, and and it'll be it'll be fun. She's she's an athlete, as I mentioned when I talked to Ryan, that I definitely root for because while she had an amazing high school and college career, she hasn't quite gotten her due as a pro that she should, especially given her longevity, especially given her range, having run the steeple chase all the way up to the marathon and pretty much everything in between. She's an athlete that you can root for. She's also a. a a mom of four adopted girls that they adopted from Ethiopia. And and she's just a good soul. Really, really kind. Really, really bright person. And somebody that I think that anybody who talked to her would kind of get, just be immediately drawn to her. So, rooting for Sarah. I do think this is going to be a challenging day for her and that it'll take a lot of things to play out for her to potentially be on the top of the podium. But, It'll be fun to watch her, especially as we look to what this might mean for her in Atlanta next year. The fourth American that we'll talk about, Sally Kibiego, new American. She was a, recent, a naturalized citizen or became a national, naturalized citizen in 2018. Also had her first child in 2018 and was coming is coming back from pregnancy. This is her first marathon as an American. Her, also her first marathon as a mom. Her PR comes from New York City in 2016 where she ran a 228 to actually get second that year in a really really solid podium result she beat Molly Huddle that year who was third and but she's coming back from pregnancy and I I got to talk to her a little bit she's also a Texas Tech alum so we started by talking about her pride and her Texas Tech Red Raiders as they made it to the the final in the NCAA March Madness Tournament. So she was really, really excited about their result. But my question for her was, you know, how has it been coming back from pregnancy? And she raced Houston half in January. That was her first big race back. And she talked about how it's been tough for her coming back from pregnancy, that certainly every woman responds differently, but that it's been a real challenge for her and that she's had to listen to her body and be really, really patient in building things back up and that the result in Houston wasn't what she wanted as she was on that journey to come back. She did say she's had a solid 12 final weeks of this Boston build and that she feels like she's starting to see that that prior self again, kind of get back to where she was before having her child. But She said her real focus is on the trials next year. That while this is an important race for her, it's a stepping stone, a building block to try to make an Olympic team for the U.S. next February. And so she's already looking ahead a little bit and just using this as an opportunity to see where she is and then potentially chart a path from here to Atlanta in 2020. But she was super, super nice, really, really friendly to me, and really open. She talked about being a mom and how it's definitely made her realize or reprioritize, I should say, her life a little bit and taking some of the pressure off running. The quote that she gave me was that she's realized as a parent that running is what I do, not who I am, and so it's given her some so her some perspective on life that she finds helpful and refreshing to to balance the rigor that she puts into her training. Sally Cabello to me is somebody that Americans need to be talking about because while she's not getting a lot of coverage right now because she's been away from the sport a little bit having her child, she's incredibly talented and as evidenced by her second in New York a couple years ago, she's going to be a player next February assuming she can be healthy. I think she's got a real chance to, to vie for this team. And so that's a name that you should know and that we should be talking about because I think she's got a shot to make big waves potentially in Atlanta next year. So those are our four major contenders on the American women's side. There's some other names to to mention here that you may be seeing potentially in that Lee pack. And depending on how things play out, maybe a, a second pack We've got uh, Lindsey Flanagan, who's run a two twenty nine in Frankfurt last year, to have a really really solid result there. Becky Wade, uh, Rice alum, who, which is my alma mater, who's run a two thirty, but her her best race was that two thirty actually in twenty thirteen. So it's been a little while since she's been able to put the pieces together for the marathon. You have got Sarah Crouch, and then of course Sarah Sellers, who. Ran a two thirty-six at New York after her second place in Boston last year, but is is also in this field and adjusting to the newfound fame of being a second place finisher in Boston. So those are some other names to watch out for, but I think for the American women, those four that I mentioned first, Jordan say Des Linden, Sarah Hall, and Sally Kipiego are the major names that could compete with these international ladies for the top spots. So How is this all going to play out? Well, I think the race itself, how that plays out will depend largely on the weather. I do think with rain in the forecast, winds potentially from the back, but you never know. They can also swirl out there on course that the conditions will add some chaos. I do think that because it is going to be a little bit warmer, you're not going to have quite the chaos, quite the shrapnel that you did last year in terms of people having to drop out largely who dropped out just because they they got hypothermic they couldn't stay warm and their legs kind of stopped functioning as a part of that cold weather so I think it's going to be a a little bit more clean so to speak in terms of the elite field staying being able to stay together and I think also as we learned last year you don't want to get out and lead we saw athlete after athlete take the lead and and then ultimately fall away so what does that mean for this field. I do think it's going to be a slower start building as the race progresses. I think you're going to see a a lead pack that's tightly bunched for as long as possible until potentially you have someone make a move in Newton Hills. Edda Kiplegott did it famously in 2017 in in the Newton Hills as she actually took off before the crest of heartbreak to get her victory that year. And and so I think you'll see perhaps some movement start to happen at that point, and and then those who will cover will stay. But I think there'll be a gradual whittling down of that lead women's pack until you have a few players that are battling out in a in a war of attrition, so to speak. My picks top three: the Americans will be happy. I, I'm picking that Ed Kiplegat will take. It, actually, as the Kenyan who won in 2017. But I think you're going to have Americans behind her in the next two spots. So I'm picking Jordan Hesse to bounce back to get second. And I'm going to say Desiree Linden actually ends up in third place, uh, the only spot on the podium that she has yet to occupy here at Boston. So Kip Legat has Linden in a war of attrition over that final 10K after you get out of the Newton Hills. Will it come down to Boylston in this case? I don't think so. I think Edna Kiplegott will be able to get away before that, but I still think you're, you're going to be in for some fireworks throughout the race, especially depending on how these conditions play out. So there you go. Those are my picks. If I were to pick an athlete as a quote-unquote wild card who could make some waves beyond that list, it would be a safer... The Ethiopian athlete who is who has won four marathons in the last four years, including Frankfurt in, in the fall, and I think she could be one to watch, but I don't like her on the podium because she isn't used to this kind of challenging course without without pacers. So there you go, Kipigat, essay, Linden. All right, let's turn to our men's field, and we'll kind of do it similarly, talk a little bit about the international field and then talk about. The American men. Now, this field, interestingly, is probably slightly more deep from an international standpoint. And LetsRun.com has gone as far as to say that Americans don't really have a shot at this race, which I think is a, probably a step too far in terms of breaking down this field. I do think there's are, there are some Americans that could potentially win especially if the conditions are a little bit crazy, but even maybe under more, quote-unquote, honest conditions. And so we'll give a little rundown first, though, on the international field, and then we'll talk about our American men and see how they stack up. So first on this list, and we'll do it again, kind of in order of PRs, you've got Lawrence Chirono, who has run low 2 of 4s and actually won Amsterdam last year, which is a a big, big race in Europe. He's run 204.06 as of last year and has actually won three of his last four marathons. And so not only has has done it fast, but has done it recently and with wins. But again, those were more in in pace conditions, although he did get the course record and win the Honolulu Marathon, which I know is a a more challenging course. So that potentially bodes well for what he could do here in Boston. Behind him, you've got a couple of Ethiopian athletes, Sisei Lima and Lemmy Berhanu, who have both run in the 204 range, but that came at Dubai. Again, kind of always put a little asterisk on Dubai because that is a fast-paced race that's super flat. Very, very different than what these athletes will face here this coming Monday. Then you've got a couple other Ethiopians after that that have also run 204, Solomon Dexisa who has wins in Mumbai, Hamburg, and Piard in a 20440 in Amsterdam to finish behind Lawrence Toronto last year. And then of course Lalisa de Sisa, who is probably the biggest threat of the names that I've mentioned so far in this field. He's run a 204.45. That was in 2013, so it's been a while, but of course is a two time Boston champion and then most recently won New York. In two hundred five fifty nine last fall, in if you'll remember, quite really quite a gutsy race as he hung in there after lots of different surges and was able to to out kick and just gut out that race over the great Jeffrey Comolore, who was at that time the New York defending champion. And so you've got to believe with DeCesare's experience on this course and his experience in tough major marathons that aren't paced, you got to believe that he's got a sh- a shot and probably is the most important name that I've mentioned so far. Behind him, you've got Kenneth Kipkamoy, who's run two o five forty four at Rotterdam in a victory, also finished fourth at Chicago last year in a marathon major. And then, of course, the great Joffrey Karui, who, while he has, quote-unquote, only a 206 27 PR from 2016 he was the 2017 Boston champion he was the 2017 world champion finished sixth in Chicago last year and then of course finished second in Boston last year after he was caught by Yuki Kauchi in those closing miles and who knows we know he went a little bit early last year and a lot of people questioned his tactics that he should have Hung in there a little bit longer. If he just only waited to make his move, then he might still have won. And then the other question is, what happened if he didn't have that parachute-like Nike jacket on that he was wearing that he couldn't get off, that he couldn't actually unzip? How much did that drag actually slow him down, allowing Yuki to catch him? So that is a question. And, of course, how is he going to bounce back from the Chicago race? Now, one thing we do know about Karui is that he's done well in unpaced races world champs, Boston. He's both both years, 2017 and 2018, and he's also done well on challenging courses more so than he has done well at a place like Chicago, which is Pancake Flats. So if you list those as your primary names in the international field, then I think you have to circle Karui and DeCisa as the two, two names to really, really circle and focus on there. I also like Lawrence Toronto. Because of his experience in a more challenging course like Honolulu, plus having won three of his last four races, he knows how to race, so those would be the three names I would highlight on the international side on the American side. I think there's again four names just like the American women. I was able to actually talk to all of these athletes, and we'll we'll talk about them in order of their p r s as well. The first would be Dathan Ritzenheim, who has a 207 PR from Chicago in 2012. Dathan, of course, is a sub 13, 5K guy, has been an Olympian, finished fourth tragically in the marathon trials in 2012 in Houston, so hasn't been able to make a marathon team yet. And it's been four years actually since he's finished a marathon. While he does have the 1207, he hasn't necessarily mastered it. The marathon has definitely been one of his more challenging distances. And it's that, that, that one 207, sort of the shining beacon beyond that, he hasn't had a lot of success. Of course, he moved last year to train with Brooks Hansen's and famously had to pull out of Boston last year due to injury. So it was a did not start prior to last year's race. I got to, to chat with Dathan And by the way, Nora Nora Colligan, he was one of our Team Rogue teammates, went to high school, was a year older than Dathan. And so he he says hi, Nora, if you happen to be listening to this. And so the thing that they did this time actually was to try a shortened marathon training block and really focused on an eight-week build where he said they were really trying to stay away from the edge and stay in control, really focus on the the longer workouts and what he needed to do to to in particular to stay sustain marathon pace and you know, he ran a 101 and change half earlier this year so the speed is still there the question is can he put it together over the course of a marathon especially after only an eight week build to this And that remains to be seen, but I did ask him, I said, it seems like nobody's mentioning your name, Dathan, even though you have perhaps the deepest overall resume of the Americans in the field. And he didn't seem too concerned about that. I think he liked the fact that he was able to fly under the radar. Now, can he have a result here after it's been about four years since he's had a big major marathon result that he can hang his hat on? We don't know. And how will this experimentation work as a part of of this kind of shortened build for him, where he's primarily focusing on those those long runs and that getting to that marathon intensity and strength and endurance? We shall see we shall see, but i I certainly wouldn't count him out because he's experienced. he's been in all kinds of races. he was known before he moved to the marathon of being really, really good in cross country so hills aren't something that bother him and if and i would imagine challenging conditions aren't aren't something that bothers him because he's training in michigan uh, as well as florida with brooks hansens and he's he's obviously raced in crazy cross country conditions in the past i just i wouldn't count ritz out i think he's got he's got a shot to at least mix it up and certainly as much of a shot as any other of these Americans we're going to mention to potentially be on a podium spot, depending on how things play out. So, Ritz is one name. Then, if we scroll down the list based on PRs, the next would be Jared Ward, who has a 211.30 PR from the Rio Olympics in 2016. Also, recently was the top American, finishing sixth at New York after a bit of an abbreviated build due to injury prior to that so he had a really really solid race there he in particular when I chatted with him was really relaxed really confident had talked about how this this build to Boston unlike his build to New York was was seamless everything was going well and he seemed primed and ready he mentioned he mentioned having the ability to potentially go 209 he believes in the right conditions even on this course and so that that obviously is shows kind of shows his confidence and he's done it on challenging olympic trials courses he's raced well on a new york course where he wasn't in as good of a a spot from a training build-up standpoint so jared ward another guy who i think could sniff at the podium depending on how things play out so he would be the next one Then we've got to talk about Shadrach BWAT, who has a 21201 PR. He did that in New York in 2016, but he's finished third and fourth in Boston and has really, really good success at this rate. He's a teammate of Dathan's, trains with Brooks Hansen's. Both of those guys talked about really working well together in their build. They've been splitting time between Michigan as well as. They're training home in Florida to try to get to some warmer conditions, to prepare for warmer conditions if that were to happen in Boston. And B-Watt uh, didn't have the race he wanted in New York. He finished ninth. But as I was talking to him, he said this is something that hasn't gotten a lot of press or publicity because I don't really talk about it. But he had almost, a I think he said 20 days of training that he missed leading up to New York because of injury so kind of came into New York not firing all cylinders and he said at mile 12 he was already really in the hurt locker and fortunately was able to latch on to Jared Ward in that race and kind of just hang with him for as long as possible and he said Jared basically pulled him to his ninth place finish in New York and he was really really pleased with that given the fact that he had had that injury and challenge but if you look at but if you look at B-Watt Having finished third here last year, almost caught Joffrey Carey on Boylston. He knows this course, he's good on challenging courses and in, in these conditions. He's confident about his training. He said everything has gone well this time. Training with Ritz in Michigan and Florida. And he he was he was very colorful about wanting to mix it up with the best. And there were a couple of interesting little anecdotes from him. One is that he didn't even know he was right behind Karui on Boylston last year. He didn't even see Karui until after he got to the finish line and and was was disappointed because he felt like maybe if he had known Karui was up ahead of him closely that he might have been able to reel him in and he had kind of settled into third place because someone had told him that there was nobody behind him instead of really looking ahead to see if he could catch Karui. So he's hungry hungry to 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 potentially beat some of those international athletes and he also said you know he's going for it he talked about the fact that that he and some of the other other americans get frustrated by this this talk of being the top american as some sort of mantle that matters for the american men when all of those guys really want to mix it up with the best in the world and he said that's his plan you know he's he wants to get back on the podium and so i really really appreciated be what he was also like reward really relaxed and he and the two of them were actually sitting next to each other in the press conference when I was making my rounds and they talked about how they were comparing notes and that there wouldn't necessarily be any explicit plan to work together but that he Dathan and Jared would look for each other in the field and potentially if there was an opportunity work together to try to get one of them to to a good spot so so that could be interesting to see if you've got the, the American team tactics playing in here. And then the last one we've got to mention here, of course, is NAZ Elite athlete Scott Fable. He is last but not least, certainly. His PR is 212.28 from New York where he finished seventh right behind Jared Ward last year. And it was a really interesting discussion with Fable. If you follow Ben Rosario or NAZ Elite on Twitter, you'll know that his build... For Boston has gone really, really, really well. He's done some workouts that have shattered expectations, including a 16-mile tempo at altitude in Flagstaff on a Boston simulation-style course that, that Ben Rosario said was one of the most amazing workouts he's seen as, as his, in his time as coach of that team. And so it looks like he's ready, and the build has gone really, really, really well. When I got to him, he seemed a little bit annoyed and frustrated. Interestingly, and you know, I think he seemed to be having a, a, or admitted to having a chip on his shoulder for 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 media outlets and and others not really giving the American men, including him, their due to compete with the likes of Lidisa DeCisa and Joffrey Kruy. And so he was he was kind of frustrated. And I asked him a little bit about what it's like for him to compete in that kind of a field. And he said, and I quote, I don't give a shit who else is on the line. I don't give a shit who else is there. I'm going to focus on me and I think I can compete with the best of the world. It doesn't matter. I'm going to show up and do my best and mix it up no matter what. So. So he was kind of fired up, a little pissed off. It seemed like definitely had a chip on his shoulder, but did confirm that his training has gone really well, that he's really confident and that his expectations are really, really high. He didn't put a number on it, but Rosario, Ben Rosario, his coach on Twitter has said that they think a top five spot is, is a potential for Fable, a potential goal for him. And so I think you're going to see him reaching for that kind of a result Obviously top 5 would be great. Top 10 for any of these guys would be important because if you get top 10 in a major marathon then that gives you the uh, auto qualify qualifier. You don't have to worry about time for your for your Olympic standards. So those four guys are going to be in there and I think they're going to go with they're going to go with the front pack and they're going to mix it up. And it's going to be interesting and I I do think that the American men, and I kind of agree with Fawbel, that they're not quite getting their due here, especially on a course like Boston without pacers in challenging conditions. I think any of these four guys, especially since all of their builds have gone well, could potentially do something here and quote unquote, shock the world. And so that's something to watch. Also in this field on the American side is Abdi Abner-Rahman, who has He's 42 years old now and DNF in New York, but has been a player in major marathons for many, many years now. So he will he's a name you'll probably see in that lead pack as an American. You've also got Elkanah Cabet from the Scott Simmons group out of Colorado Springs. Hasn't quite had the marathon that he might want, but is somebody who will be potentially in that lead pack. And then Tim Ritchie, who trains here in Boston. Kind of has that home course advantage, so to speak. Runs for Saucony. He is the U.S. marathon champ from 2017, but finished 13th in New York last fall. He's another name that I think you'll see mixing it up there at the front on the Americans for the Americans. Now, what are we gonna? What do we think? How is this gonna play out? Well, we haven't talked about perhaps the key factor in how this plays out, which is the defending champion Yuki Kawauchi, who implemented a brilliant strategy to put the the big players on the ropes last year and ultimately prevail in those crazy, crazy conditions last year. He talked about it via a blog from his his agent Brett Larner that he went out really hard. I think they were on two oh six pace early because he wanted to put those big guns on the ropes and make them work from the very beginning. And it played out perfectly for him as he was able to run down Karui at the very very end so will that happen again then well we should see we shall see I think the the crappier the conditions the better but I do think you're gonna see Yuki potentially employ similar tactics if the weather is terrible this year now the question will be if Yuki does go off the front like he did last year and, and start to put some pressure on that field to keep the pace honest, will the field let him go or or will they tag along and perhaps get sucked into the same mistakes that they did last year? I tend to believe that this time around, they'll actually let him go. And if that happens, that can make so, for some really, really fascinating racing, depending on if he's able to get a gap or not Yuki is a prolific racer. He also recently officially turned pro quitting his job with the government. So now he's actually a pro quote unquote pro marathoner, although he was already a prolific racer and, and, and is somebody who races marathons and halves every month. Recently he did a half marathon and got second in a ninja costume. So he's eccentric. He's crazy. And you never know exactly what you're going to get from him. But I do think if we're going to see some early fireworks, you will see the aggressor be Yuki Kawuchi, And I think the field will actually let him go. And if that happens, then it'll be a chase to the finish. So, how and then do I actually think this race will play out? Well, I do tend to think that Yuki will make a bold move and potentially challenge the field early. I do also tend to think that if that happens, they will let him go. And then the chase will be on from behind, depending on when that starts to play out. I tend to believe that the main pack, if Yuki does go off the front, will we'll run this more traditionally, so to speak, with a little bit slower start as then things will kind of gradually build into Newton. And then the chase will be on at some point. From there... And I do think Yuki will ultimately be caught by a, similar to the women, a gradually winnowing field up front. Who will be the winner? I'm going to pick Jeffrey Karui to to come back and get the victory after getting second last year. I think the big mistake he made last year was going just a little bit too early. And if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't been wearing that ridiculous Nike jacket, then he probably would be looking to try to get a three-peat this year. And I think he's your favorite. And I think... Uh, he will be the one that crosses the finish line first. Second place, I'm going to predict that that will be Toronto, Lawrence Toronto, another Kenyan athlete. I think he's shown that he can win races, he can run fast, and he can do it on a variety of courses, which I think is an important characteristic here in Boston. And so I think you'll have Toronto crossing second. Third, I'm actually going to pick Jared Ward, an American. I liked his confidence. I liked how he was relaxed. I like the fact that he feels comfortable running with the likes of a Stanley B. Watt. Oh, sorry, of a Shadrack B. Watt. And a Dathan Ritzenheim, I think he'll be able to kind of get comfortable within the field and through a battle of attrition, hang tough and run a solid time to actually pick up a third-place podium spot. Behind him, how, how will that play out? I'm not sure, but I tend to think that B. Watt and Fobble will be not too far behind. I think they'll both also be top 10, potentially placing 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, somewhere in that range to earn their auto Olympic standards. The one athlete I didn't mention there, Lalisa DeCisa, two-time champion, New York champion. I tend to think that he won't have his day. Why is that? Because DeCisa is also known for after after winning big races perhaps having a little bit too too much fun before coming back getting a little too loose with his training before coming back to a strong result again in new york and so i'm just predicting that perhaps he celebrated too much after that new york win and won't be on his a-game again in boston plus it's hard to win new york and then boston back to back if he did that would be legend material but i'm predicting that he will not so Give me Jeffrey Curry for the win, Lawrence Toronto for second, and the American Jared Ward in third to round out the podium. There you go. Those are our races. We will see how it plays out. It will be fascinating to see how the weather goes in the next 48 hours. It will also be fascinating to see how these tactics play out early in the race. And obviously, I'll be there on race morning a few blocks off the 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 race course just a few blocks from Hereford and Boylston calling it so please do join me again on the Facebook Live or if you're in Boston come by 344 Newberry Street to say hello and watch it in person. Grab a beer and a coffee and we'll we'll do it. So there you go. Those are those are the things you need to know to watch on Marathon Monday. As always, thanks for listening. This has been a special edition episode of the Running Rogue podcast. You can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.